Thanks for joining us for this message from Awakened Church. We believe in the power of God's Word, and we pray that you're encouraged by this message. Now lean in as we hear from God's Word together. I'm really excited about today's message. Like I said, I've been praying about it over the last several weeks. I've been thinking a lot about it. And so uh, this is something that I feel like the Lord has put on my heart. And um, uh, just as a way of introduction uh, to the message, I do want to ask you today, as a kid, I wonder how many of us had dreams of what we would be when we grew up, right? Like, I think we could all say, yeah, some of you are like, yep, I know that. You know, we, have, we all have dreams, Maybe for you it was a policeman, a firefighter. Maybe it was to be in the NBA or to play football. Like, you know, you just had these dreams and aspirations. I know for me growing up, I wanted to be Bob Barker of The Price is Right. Like, I don't know why they hired that Drew guy. I was ready. They didn't call me. You know, so I wanted to be that. I wanted to be a rock star. Like, that was the other thing. Like, to be honest, I had my own Blink-182 band, and we were going to tour the world tonight. You know, like, I already had all of that going on. You know, so I was ready to go. I also had dreams of being a pastor and I could share more in detail at maybe another time, but uh, I guess in a way I'm kind of living out that dream. But we all had dreams as kids of what we wanted to be when we grew up. My boys, Brody, my oldest one, he wants to be a YouTuber. You know, like that's, that's his dreams. Asher, he wants to be a checker at the food line because he just loves to scan those items. <laughs> He's entranced with those, this scanning process. And then Dawson, my youngest son, what he wants to be when he grows up, he wants to be a dinosaur. That's what he told me. Which is funny, but it's impossible for him. It's difficult for him because he would have to fight against his own unique makeup and design because he wasn't built to be a T-Rex. See, I wonder how many of us here today, we fight against our own unique makeup and design when it comes to knowing what our life purpose is. How often are we distracted by comparing ourselves to other people? We love to compare ourselves to other people. We love to look at other people, what they have, like their achievements, their education, their job, their cars, their house. And we look at other people and we go, well, why can't that be me? Why can't I have those things? Why can't I be more like them? How often are we left searching for our unique purpose in life? Jesus even said in Matthew chapter 20, he said, the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as ransom for many. What we're being told by Jesus there is that we are to imitate him. And one of the ways that we imitate Jesus is by serving. So no matter what you do in life today, no matter what your status is, no matter what your day-to-day job is, you could be a stay-at-home mom. You could be a CEO. You could be an employee somewhere. You could be a, a, a student at school. Whatever it is that you do, you are called by God to imitate him. And one of the ways that you imitate him is through serving. In fact, the title of today's message is Serving is Our Calling. Serving is is their calling. You are called by God to serve him in every area of your life. You are called to serve him in your family. You are called to serve him in your job. You are called to serve him in your school. You are called as husbands to serve your wives. Wives, you are called to serve your husbands. Parents, you are called to serve your children. And children, you are called to serve your parents. But today I specifically want to hone in and talk about how we are also called to serve God in church. Because I want you to know something. 
Serving isn't something that a few people are called to do. Serving is something we're all called to do. So we can't see the things going on in church and go, well, that doesn't fit my calling. I have this gifting. I can't do that. We can't just sit at church and go, well, I don't know what I'm called to do. Well, you got to serve. Serving is our calling. That's what Jesus did, and that's what we need to do as well. But to be honest, serving can be a challenge for us. And I think the reason why is because of our culture. In fact, if I were to describe our culture in one word, I would describe it as consumer. We are master consumers. We consume news all day long. We consume fast food made at lightning speed with the promise that you'll get it just the way you like it. We consume movies, video games, TV shows. In fact, we consume so many TV shows that they had to invent a word to describe how many TV shows we consume. And we all know what that is, right? It's binge watching. We love to binge watch because we watch episode after episode after episode. And then what ends up happening? You get that little countdown timer that goes, are you going to watch another one? And you look at your spouse and you're like, are we going to do it? And she's like, yeah. And the next thing you know, four days later, you're still watching the same thing. (laughs) We love to binge watch our TV shows. And not only has it become a part of our culture, scientists have actually studied the effects of binge watching on relationships. And here's what they said. That shared media can enhance interdependence and allow people to compensate for lacking a shared social network in the real world. So here's what this is saying. Binge watching can be a great substitute for having friends. Now, I'm no scientist. I don't have letters behind my name, but I can just tell you right now, that's dumb. That is not a way that we should be living life. But we love to consume, and our lives are built to bring comfort. I was even thinking about this being guilty in my own life. Last year, our whole family wanted to watch Spider-Man. And so we get to the movie theater, the back row, everybody gets settled in with their drinks and their popcorn and all of that. And I sit down after getting all those knuckleheads ready and I'm pressing the little button to recline and relax and it's not working. And then my kids start pressing the buttons. They're like, dad, this isn't working. What's going on? I'm like, I know this is like prison. Like this is not how we're supposed to live our life. Like if I cannot be fully reclined watching a movie in a room full of strangers, I don't want to watch it. You know, that's how we are. We love comfort. You love comfort. And here's how I know this is true. Because I think anytime we plan for the future, comfort is always the goal. When I think about the next purchase, the next project, I want to be comfortable. And let me just say, comfort is not a bad thing. Being comfortable is not bad. The challenge is when, we, uh, when the things that bring us comfort become the ultimate things in our lives. When the things that bring us comfort become the ultimate things in our lives, that's when it becomes dangerous. So here's what this means. Every single one of us are going to be challenged today. Because we're going to read a passage here in the book of Acts that's going to talk about the early church and how some people needed to step out of their comfort zones and serve. And so the challenge for us today is the question we need to answer is what are we holding on to today? What are we holding on to that brings us comfort? What are we holding on to that's keeping us from discovering our purpose? What are we not willing to give up 
so that we could serve the Lord. And so if you have a Bible, you can go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 6 today. Acts chapter 6. If you don't have a Bible, if you have a smartphone, you can download the YouVersion Bible app. You can get all the notes there, follow along, or we'll have the verses up on the screen. But the reason why I'm having us go to the book of Acts is because this records the beginning of the early church. And so what we're experiencing today got its start 2,000 years ago, and the church launched with a bang. In fact, in Acts chapter 2, it tells us that Peter preached the gospel to thousands of people, and 3,000 people got saved, 3,000 people got baptized, and 3,000 people were added to the church that day. So the church got really, really big, really, really fast. And the church leaders, listen, they didn't go to seminary. They didn't have leadership podcasts they could listen to to learn about leadership. They were former fishermen who quit their jobs to follow Jesus. And so their leadership abilities were being tested right from the start. And because the church got so big so quickly, things got complicated. In fact, internally, the church leaders, they were uh, trying to teach people who Jesus was. They were trying to keep people on mission. You know, they were trying to keep everything organized inside the walls of the church. And that's all the things going on internally. Externally, there's a lot of things going on. The religious leaders of the day were, being, were persecuting them. The religious leaders told the apostles, hey, listen, you need to stop preaching Jesus. And if you don't stop preaching Jesus, then we're going to kill you. And the apostles looked at these religious leaders and they said, well, then kill us because we can't help but talk about what Jesus has done. And so all these things are going on. And then we have Acts chapter 6, starting in verse 1. It says, Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And I just want us to pause right there in verse 1. We're going to look at four verses today, but I just want to pause at verse 1 because there's a lot happening in just this one verse. In fact, the city that this is all happening in is Jerusalem. And Jerusalem became a popular retirement destination for widows. Now, being a widow is difficult all the time, but it was extremely dangerous at this time. Because many widows, when their husbands died, they didn't have enough to live off of. And so they moved to Jerusalem because there were resources for the poor there. There was a Jewish system of distributing food. But now that they had converted to Christianity, those resources were not available to them anymore. And so the church had widows, and these widows needed to be fed. Now here's where the complaints come in. There's two groups of widows. The first group of widows, they're being taken care of. They're of Jewish background. They spoke Hebrew. They knew the religious ins and outs. They knew they came from the same place as a lot of these leaders came from. And then there was the other group of, religious, or of, of widows, And these widows, they had Greek background. They didn't speak Hebrew. They didn't know the religious ins and outs. They didn't come from the same places that these leaders came from. And so they weren't getting what they needed. They were being ignored. They were being discriminated against. So let these grumblings and these accusations kind of sink in for a minute. Because they had all this diversity without people willing to step up and serve, it led to messiness. And anytime you get a large group of people trying to go somewhere in one direction, listen, it can get messy. There are oversights. There are mistakes that are just going to happen. But when people start serving in the right place, we can minimize those problems 
and we can take care of those blind spots. Sometimes as I hang out with um, different pastors, Christians who've been a, uh, been a Christian for a very long time, often I'll hear people say, the early church had it all right. They were the ones who were perfect right from the starter. They had it all going together. We, as the current church, we're the ones who messed it up. And maybe to some extent that's true. But as I'm reading from Acts chapter 6, they were messy from the start. And we're messy as well. But the way that they cleaned up what was going on in their church is they were calling people to serve. And here's what you need to know about Awakened Church. We are far from perfect. We're going to make mistakes. We're going to have some oversights. And to be honest, there are some problems and things not being cared for. And if you're here today and you're looking for that perfect church, well, guess what? Good luck. Good luck on your journey because there is no perfect church out there. In fact, I've been told if you ever find that perfect church, don't join it because you're going to be the one to mess it up. There's no such thing as a perfect church. So the early church wasn't perfect. We aren't perfect. And so the church leaders had to deal with this issue. So here's how they dealt with it, starting in verse 2. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up the preaching of the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. I want you to notice what the leaders did. They assessed the situation and then they addressed the problems head on. They could have blamed all the people for complaining. They could have easily been like, why are you whining so much? They could have gotten defensive and said, don't you know what's on my plate? Don't you know what I've got going on? They could have been like, I'm over here preaching and praying and doing all this. I can't take care of the widows. But what they did was they took responsibility. And they delegated that responsibility to other people. Because here's the simple truth. No one can do everything, but everyone can do something. No one can do everything, but everyone can do something. Now that's not earth-shattering news. That's not even hard for us to understand. It's amazing how often, though, we can miss the simple truth. That no one can do everything, but everyone can do something. The apostles could not meet every single need that was going on inside their church and outside their church in Jerusalem. And the same is true for us today. Myself, the other pastors, the leadership team, the ministry leaders, the staff, we cannot meet every single need going on in this church. We can't meet every single need going on outside the walls of this church. But that's why the church is called the body. It's a group of believers who are moving from being consumers to contributors. And we all serve together because we are all called to serve. Serving is our calling. But I want you to notice a detail before we get into our one point today. Our one big idea for today is that the leaders, when they were looking for someone to take care of these widows, the apostles didn't just take the warm body approach. They didn't go asking if anybody could just give up five to 10 hours of their time what they did was they said that these people needed to be full of the spirit and of wisdom. 
They needed to be guided by the Spirit of God to help these widows out. And here's why. Because all service is spiritual. All service is spiritual. See, one of the greatest misconceptions that's out there is that there's only one category of service, and that is the speaking and the leading kind. And that's where you have all the preaching, the praying, the discipling, the counseling, and that's reserved over there for the super Christians. And then there's just a bunch of not so important things over there that just need to get done. Someone needs to open the door. Someone needs to turn on the light. Someone needs to straighten up the chair. Someone needs to watch the kids. Someone needs to serve in the homeless shelter. That's just normal stuff. The spiritual stuff over there is for the super elite Christians. There's just, the problem is that if you believe that, there is no biblical evidence for that category of service. There is just spiritual service. In fact, I love what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12. He says there are different kinds of service, but we serve the same Lord. All service is spiritual. All service is important because all service is for the Lord. And so I wanted to use Acts chapter 6 today as a launching point to say this, that there are some of us here today who, just like in this story, are being taken advantage of. There are people who are serving faithfully every single week. And there's others of us who are taking advantage of these people. And I don't think we do this on purpose. I know none of us want to be thought of as somebody who takes advantage of other people. But the reality is this can easily happen in the church. And I think we do this unintentionally because we don't know what our purpose is. And I think sometimes we get so caught up living our lives of comfort that we kind of forget what our purpose is. We end up taking advantage of people. But listen, when you understand what your purpose is, when you understand that we are not built just to live lives of comfort, but we are built to do great things for God, that we are to be a picture of Jesus to this world, that we are to be people who worship God through serving, it should change everything. It should change how we live our lives and it should change how we view our lives. And so the big idea for us today, the one and only point for us today is when you know whose you are, you'll know what to do. When you know whose you are, you will know what to do. Now, if you were with us all last year, we went through the book of Ephesians and you heard me say that quite a bit because we talked about the book of Ephesians being a book about identity that the first half talks all about who God is and what he's done for us. And the second part helps us in light of all that information, how to live our lives. That when we know what God has done for us, we know how to live out every other aspect of our lives. One of my favorite passages in all of scripture is Ephesians chapter two, verses one through 10. And it starts off really encouraging because it says you were dead and without hope. And so right there, we're feeling encouraged. We're feeling like, wow, this is a great thing. But then it gets better in verse three. Because it says, but God, who is rich in mercy, he didn't know sin. He realized we could do nothing to have a relationship with him. He sent Jesus into our world to live and die and rise again. Because there's not enough good works. There's not enough money. There is nothing we could do to have that right relationship with the Father. And because God is so rich in his mercy, he sent Jesus. And he gives us his grace as a gift to cover a multitude of our sins. And because of his great love, we are served or we are saved for good works. 
We are saved to do good things for the one who saved us. In fact, verse 10, I love how, what it says. It says, for we are his workmanship. Other translations will say creation or masterpiece. And I love that. We are his masterpiece created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. If you are in Christ today, you are the masterpiece of God. If you are in Christ, it doesn't matter how you feel about yourself. Like we talked about earlier, it doesn't matter what you, what you think you're good at, what you're talented at. No, you are the masterpiece of God created for the master's purpose. In fact, the Greek translates workmanship or masterpiece as a beautiful poem. And I love that because your life should be this beautiful poem to the glory of God. And when you believe that, when you believe that you are his workmanship, that you are, you are his creation, that you are his masterpiece, that you are his poetic statement to his glory, when you know who you are, you will know what to do. In fact, in the Psalms, it tells us that we are fearfully and wonderfully made, that God knew all of our days before we even lived one of them. And I just love that. And this is why it's so powerful to me. Because think about this. God decided that this little piece of history, at this point in time, this 60, 70, 80 years, whatever you have here on this earth, God decided that in this moment in history, you would serve him best. There's no better time for your skills, your personality, your gifts, your talents, your, uh, the way that you see the world. There is no better time than right now for you to serve Jesus and bring him glory. One of the things that I was reminded of as I was studying this was as I, because I've grown up in the church my entire life. And so, of course, I've served in different churches. And so anytime I served at another church or anytime that I serve here when I'm not teaching, anytime I've been a part of an outreach here at Awaken, I've never thought, man, I really hated helping all those people. Like it was such a bummer to go and help these people. I wish I was at home taking a nap. I never gave sacrificially and thought, man, I really hated helping all those people. Like they were in need and I'm really bummed out that I got to help them and kind of be able to show Jesus to them. Like I really hated that. I wish I would have given less. No, every time that I've sacrificed, every time that I've served, every time that I gave, it not only came with a blessing spiritually, but with this overwhelming feeling of gratitude of what I'm a part of. To be able to go, God, you have allowed me to be in their life, to walk with them at this time, to be a blessing with them, to be an encourager for them, to be able to pray with them. The problem is for many of us, we don't believe that we are the masterpiece of God. And so we don't understand our purpose. And when you don't understand the purpose of a thing, all you can do is mistreat the thing. I want to share a story with you that I probably won't be able to share again because it involves my 10-year-old son. And uh, pretty soon he'll be here, so I'm going to have to be very selective of what I share. And so he would probably be a little embarrassed that I'm going to share this story. He, so if you see him later today, just, you know, walk right past him. Don't act like you know this about his life, all right? but it's a great analogy. So here we go. You ready? So we got to rewind about seven years. 
Brody's about three years old. And you know, boys at three years old, they want to be just like dad, right? I have pictures of my boys wearing suit jackets that I have, wearing my t-shirts that don't fit them. Like they still love to come at church with my baseball hats on that don't fit their heads. And so boys like to be like their dads. They like the things that dad likes and they have the same interests. And so I just remember one day I was getting ready to go somewhere and I was getting on my shoes and socks and I left the sock sock drawer open and I went to go uh, fix my hair and, and finish getting ready. And all of a sudden, I hear Brody coming down the hallway going, <sighs> and I'm going, what is he doing? And so all of a sudden, he's standing in the doorway, and I look at him, and he goes, hey, Dad, look, I'm Darth Vader. Now, you might be thinking, what's embarrassing about this? This seems kind of cute. Like, is that what's embarrassing? Well, what I haven't told you is that he found my cup. I'm not talking about the one that you drink out of. <laughs> talking about that triangular thing with holes in it. He found it. And so you can see that this is not cute. This is disgusting. And for some of you, you're like, why would you share this? Here's a spiritual lesson. You will be blessed before you go on your way to lunch and all of that. <laughs> But he says, look, dad, I'm Darth Vader. And of course I did what any good parent did. And I laughed hysterically at him. (laughs) And then I explained what it was that he had on his face. (laughs) Now here's the moral of the story. Here's the spiritual lesson. If you don't know the purpose of a thing, all you can do is mistreat the thing. If you don't know the purpose of your life, all you can do is mistreat the masterpiece of God that is your life. Life without purpose reduces everything down to an experiment. And that's how many of you are living your life right now. You're experimenting. You think, well, maybe this job will do the trick or this person will make me happy or if I could get this achievement, go on this vacation, if I could accomplish these things, that will do the trick. And you go through life experimenting because you don't know the purpose of your life. If you don't know the purpose of a thing, don't ask the thing. Don't pick up a cup and say, what are you there for? Because the next thing you know, you're going to be breathing through the cup. You don't ask the thing. You ask the one who created the thing. You are the masterpiece of God. You are created for God. You seek God. You ask him, God, what would you have for my life? God, what is my purpose? And God would tell you to be an imitator of him, to serve him. See, Awakened Church isn't a place for you to come and watch professional Christians do ministry. For many of us, we need to stop renting our chairs and our parking spots, and we need to take ownership of this place. And so what that means is as a church, we don't just point out all the problems. We don't just go, well, whose problem is this that the coffee's not there? Or whose problem is this that they couldn't take my kids? Or why are they roping off my seats? Or what are they doing? We don't just point out all the fingers and all the problems that we see. We take ownership of this place. Because remember, God's thought in all of history that you would serve him best in this moment at this time. And so we need to be part of the solution. So now to do my son some justice, we'll fast forward to just a couple weeks ago. So just a couple weeks ago, we're sitting around the dinner table and we're finding out what's going on in everybody's life and what they're doing and how they're doing. 
And so Brody, he said that week he was taking TCAP testing. And if you're a parent who has a third, fourth, and fifth grader, you know all about this. If you don't have a child that's that great or you, you don't have kids yet, well, it's basically just testing to see how the teacher's doing, how the kids are doing, how the state's doing, all that kind of stuff. And so Brody's telling me all about his TCAP testing. And then he says, I had to write an opinion essay. I guess what they're just trying to figure out is can you form a, a structure, a sentence, a paragraph, whatever. And so he said, he told me one of the questions. He said, one of the questions they asked is, what would you say to someone who isn't happy with their life? And so he wrote this down. That they should remember that God made them, that he loves them. And if they don't know what to do with their life, God will give them their purpose. This boy is not breathing through an athletic cup anymore. (laughs) He understands his purpose. He understands that he is the masterpiece of God created for the master's purpose. Our goal in life is not to accumulate more things on this earth, to get all these things. You exist to bring glory to God. You are the masterpiece of God, created new in Jesus to do good things, which God prepared in advance for you to do. Philippians chapter two, Paul says this, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above ourselves, not looking for our own interests, but each of you, the interest of others. What Paul is telling this Philippian church is that the evidence of true Christianity is found in humble service to each other. God calls us as his people to serve others and to love others in humility. God even demonstrated this to us when he left the glory of heaven to have an intimate relationship with us here on earth. Jesus took on the form of a servant and entered into our messy world to serve us and to share in our suffering. Listen, we are more like Jesus when we serve each other. We demonstrate our thankfulness and our gratitude to God by willingly and humbly entering into the messy lives of other people to serve their needs and to share in their suffering. See, we could be that helper. We could be that defender. We could be someone who prays for them. We experience joy when we bring the reality of God's grace and love to people who need it the most. And so that's why on your seats, you'll see a card there and you'll see a pen. And on one side, you're gonna see different ministries here at Awaken. And on the other side, you're gonna see Awaken Kids because that's the biggest ministry we have. As we continue to grow, Awaken Kids continues to grow. And so you'll see some ministries. And, and here's what I'm asking today. That you attend a service and that you serve a service. And you could do this in two different ways. At the bare minimum, you can serve once a month. And so that takes us all the way up to about December. And so for the next six months, all I'm asking is that you serve six hours. Serving at least once a month will help the church function on a Sunday. But serving every other week, option number two, helps you. 
when you are regularly and actively engaged with one of the ministries here on a Sunday, you are able to build relationships and engage with what God is doing here at Awaken. And listen, today, if you are faithfully serving every single week here, I just want to say thank you. Not only do I see you, the other pastors see you, most importantly, God sees you. And so I hope what you're hearing today is not, you need to do more, you could do better. I hope today you're encouraged. I hope today that this just continues to encourage you more and more in what you're doing. In fact, I want to leave you with this encouragement. Galatians 6, 9 says, let's not grow tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we do not give up. But the challenge for the rest of us is, what are we willing to not give up? What are we holding on to? What are we living in our comfort zones? And what do we need to let go and realize that God has called us to serve? Remember, God has brought you here to Clarksville, Tennessee, to awaken church for such a time as this. And you can make a difference for God's glory, for eternity, and for his kingdom. In fact, just kind of looking back at the book of Acts to kind of close out that story in Acts chapter 6, with with the widows and the people being chosen, one of the people chosen was Stephen. And Stephen would go on to do many great things. In fact, the Bible tells us that he was a man full of God's grace and power, performed amazing miracles and signs among the people. Listen, it doesn't say that about Peter. Peter's the one who preached to thousands of people and 3,000 people got saved. But it doesn't say that he performed amazing miracle signs among the people. Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, it doesn't say that about Paul. It says that about Stephen's life. Stephen's role would be kind of similar to serving at Awakening Kids serving on the media team, serving on our next step team. It wasn't glamorous role. It wasn't one that had the spotlight on him. It wasn't what most people would want to do. But here's what's cool about Stephen's life. It had a ripple effect. Before Paul got saved, he was persecuting the church, killing Christian leaders. And so Paul was in charge of the execution of Stephen. Stephen was the first martyr of the early church. And so Paul watched as Stephen died. But the ripple effects of Stephen's life carried through. So when Paul got saved, Paul then mirrored that same fire that Stephen had for Jesus. Here's the point. When you step up and serve, there's no telling what God will do with your life. Your life could have a lasting impact for generations to come. But that only happens when you step up and serve and you realize that serving is your calling. Thanks for joining us for this message from Awaken Church. We'd love to hear how this message or the ministry of Awaken has impacted your life. Let us know at awaken.church forward slash my story.